Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here, too. And this is Stuff You Should Know, as always. I think, as ever. Chuck, I think we just broke our record for earliest edit in an episode. Oh, yeah. That came quick. You cleared your throat, and we, for some reason, are cutting it out. Because it's not good stuff. People don't want to hear that, do they? I don't know. Maybe weirdos. You're, your, you're 15. We've established our unprofessional <laughs> qualities. It's true. It <laughs> is true. Uh, speaking of unprofessional qualities, you know mm. who is terrible? Some of these emperors. <laughs> Very nice segue. That have you ever a... been to the Coliseum? You have, right? Yes. It's amazing. Did you go into it? Yes. I didn't go into it. I walked around it. And, uh, you know, this was my big European jaunt was when I was broke and backpacking. So, like, my friend and I did the best we could. We But sure. we did walk outside of a lot of structures that many right. other people pay to get into. You didn't have money for a pottery shard? No, we had no, no dough to get in these places. But it's it's just a wonder to walk around. And, uh, I mean, that's what I love about Rome is just seeing, yeah. seeing stuff that old. It's just really humbling and cool. Rome is one of the very few cities that I've visited and been like, I could totally live here. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a neat town for sure. And part of it is because you just be walking along and all of a sudden the wall is suddenly 3,000 years old, you know? It's just yeah. like that kind of place. Like everything's just kind of built up on top of everything else. But Stuff has been preserved or accidentally exposed. It's just a really neat town. I, I loved it for sure. Yeah. And boy, just how good looking is everybody? Yeah, those Italians, they know <laughs> what they're doing when they recreate. Oh, man. I was like, ooh, I'm in love with her and her. And <laughs> I might be gay. Look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are a good looking bunch for sure. All of them are just so attractive. Like the, in the on a Friday night at the Spanish Steps, it's just like, how many good-looking, dark-haired people can you get together in one spot? Chuck, I think like our our most um, uh, dedicated listeners know that you're just buttering up the Italians because you're going to be busting out some <laughs> Italian accents. And you don't Maybe. want them to be mad at you. Or I should oh. say you're olive-oiling them up. Uh, my, <laughs> very nice. That's a good one. I don't know if that was nice or good, but I appreciate the, the kudos. Yeah, but we're talking Coliseum. Uh, and it's interesting to me how like, and you might have gotten all this stuff from the tour, but I was just kind of knocked out in this uh, article Livia put together of how, how sort of modern, like modern stadium going experience it felt like. Yeah. And actually there's, there was one fact that stood out to me. I was like, well, they've got current stadiums beat. Um, oh, they, boy. supposedly the, the, the packed cheek to jowl. Um, you could fit 87,000 uh -huh. people in there and the whole place could be emptied or filled within 15 minutes because the circulation was that beautifully engineered. Yeah, I, I think that's a slightly dubious claim, but okay, I bet it was 17. Well, I bet it was quick and like nothing like it is today. And okay, plus, 18 and I'm not going any higher than that. <laughs> well, and back then you would, you know, you would just walk back to your place or or take a mule or something like uh, you know, post post traffic experiences near American stadiums are the stuff of legend. It's awful. Yes, for sure. But parking decks, ugh, worst thing ever invented. They're pretty bad. They're awful. Yes, it's true. And do you know it's going to get a lot worse? They're they're um, developing that uh, whole area that like kind of no man's land. It's like old train tracks and abandoned stuff in between um, State Farm Arena and mm -hmm. Mercedes Benz Stadium. 
Yeah, oh yeah, the gulch. Yes, they're 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 developing that, so it's just going to get a million times worse down there. Uh, they should just set up helicopter service and drop people in. Well, I think what they're doing is trying to be like, hey, don't jump in your car, just go hang out at a bar or restaurant. Uh, okay, I like see there's going to be stuff to do sure. there. Yeah, because uh, there's not right now. No, there's not much. Not a whole lot. There's some cool hotels down there, but they're kind of tiny. It's coming around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, but we're not talking about downtown Atlanta and everybody. No. Cool your horses. Um, we're talking about the Coliseum, like you said. Um, that was just kind of one fact, and I'm calling it a fact. Chuck, you're, you're um, <laughs> I guess you're poo-pooing it a little bit, which is fine. We can agree to disagree on that, and I think you're probably right. But still, um, it is. it, it kind of underscores how everybody in history has looked back at the Coliseum as just this marvel of engineering and a design and architecture. It was built in like eight years, astoundingly enough. And it's survived earthquakes and all sorts of terrible catastrophes. Uh, and it's still standing in a lot, pretty good shape considering how old it is, 2,000 years. Um, but what I didn't know when I was there, I knew, but it didn't really sink in. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most despicable places ever yeah. built in the history <laughs> of Western civilization. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're going to get into the stuff that went on there. It's, uh, you know, it wasn't like the history of the Globe Theater or anything like that, you know? No, it was much bloodier because everyone knows, well, yes, the gladiators fought at the Coliseum. I've seen that Russell Crowe movie. True. But it was much, much worse than even that. And that was pretty bad. But like you said, we'll get into it. Let's talk about the actual Coliseum and where it came from first. How about that? Yeah, so, you know, there was a long history of theaters, period, in the world. Uh, the Coliseum certainly was not the first, but it was uh, one of the first, you know, built-in-stone, concrete amphitheaters. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're uh, confused like I was, the term amphitheater uh, these days can, can just mean a, you know, a, a big concert uh, venue. It doesn't Outdoors. necessarily mean it is just a round thing. Right. Because most things called an amphitheater today are the kind that were not, uh, like they wouldn't have used that term back then that because is. they weren't fully encircled. It's like, it's a it's a theater, like the Hollywood Bowl or something. You've got a stage and then the seats are sort of built in a big hill in a semicircle. Like those are called amphitheaters now, but technically amph amphi means around. And so it was, uh, these were the first theaters to be, to be built all the way around right. whatever performance was going on. Yeah, totally. And like today's amphitheaters are um, much more like the old theaters, which yeah. are exactly what you describe. It's like if you go to amphitheater, you can understand what a theater was in Greece and ancient Rome. Um, and back in the day, the, the Roman Senate decided that um, having um, these, these venues permanent as permanent structures was decadent. So there was a ban on, on building permanent theaters and amphitheaters. Um, but that doesn't mean that the ones that they, they built that were temporary weren't incredibly elaborate. Oh, um, sure. Our good friend Pliny mentions one yeah. wooden temporary theater in, in uh, Rome, I believe, that had three stories of columns, 3,000 bronze statues, and uh, they gave out free bobbleheads of Nero when you came in. <laughs> What's up with Pliny all over the place the past few years? Like, if you're a historian, Chuck, especially of that era, he, you're, you are so happy that that man lived because he sat down and said, you know what, I'm going to write all this down for posterity. I'm sure people who come later are going to want to know what we were doing at this time. And sure. you know because of Pliny. I guess we've just done more topics. I just feel like we went, I mean, he's the new fight or flight for us. <laughs> yeah, he really you know? is. Totally. Uh, so, like we said, there were stone uh, amphitheaters. The first one uh, ever, I believe, was in Pompeii. Uh, the very awesome and famous Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii concert was filmed there. That's so in good. front of nobody, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very cool, strange thing to do. Uh, and then finally, we get, uh, we get Nero as emperor, and he was around during the Great Fire of 64, uh, where a lot of the wooden stuff obviously went away, including... Uh, wooden amphitheaters in Rome. And Nero was able to say like, all right, you know, I'm going to rebuild a lot of stuff and put my stamp on Rome, but I'm not, um, he didn't get around to building an amphitheater before he went away. 
No, he didn't. Um, and it was a big deal that the amphitheater in Rome, the, the temporary one, was burned down because already gladiator battles um, had been firmly established uh, in the in the popular culture. So all of a sudden you had like people who couldn't go to like, you know, the local blood sport yeah. um, event and like vent all of their frustrations and not, you know, stage an uprising against you as the emperor. So it's something you would want to have. But um, because of that fire, a lot of people still to this day blame Nero for starting the fire because he rebuilt yeah. such opulent monuments to himself on the rubble of Rome. Anyway, he eventually was uh, toppled uh, by a coup. He um, died by suicide, and that left open a power vacuum that was filled um, within one year. I think Rome had something like three different, no, four different emperors because a little civil war started. And the guy who emerged successfully was uh, an, the first emperor of the Flavian dynasty, Vespasian. Vespasian. Very nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he, and, you know, he took a look around. He had a couple of kids, uh -huh. a couple of sons, notably Titus and, uh, I guess, Domitian. I think so. Okay. And he got them established as successors. So he was pretty firmly rooted at this point. And he was like, you know, Nero came in and tried to, uh, well, not tried to, very successfully built a lot of monuments to himself, kind of put his own stamp on Rome, like uh, Chuck will mention earlier in the podcast many years from now. <laughs> and uh, I want to put my stamp on this thing. And so I'm going to build my own sort of huge Colossus theater. He didn't say that because we'll talk about where the name came from in a second. Uh, but his son had been out, um, you know, uh, active as a military leader. Uh, I, b I believe it was Titus yeah. uh, for the siege of Jerusalem, came back with a lot of war spoils. And so basically, you know, I've got all this money now besides raising taxes and claiming public land and doing, you know, basically whatever uh, Vespasian wanted as far as building infrastructure and probably monuments to himself. Sure. Uh, he said, now I've got these war spoils, so I can build like a proper uh, concrete, permanent stone amphitheater. Yeah, the first one in Rome. And Vespasian was already pretty beloved. He was a, a really popular general, a successful general. He was he was um, popular with the Senate. So when he became emperor, everybody was like, OK, this is cool. But he really won everybody over because Nero had been taking all of Rome's money and spending it on monuments to himself and like this enormous multi-acre, I think like a 150-acre house um, called the Golden House. Um, and Vespasian did the opposite. Like, yeah, he built some monuments to himself, but he also built a lot of public monuments. And yeah. that's what the Colosseum was. It was a gift to the citizens of Rome. Like, remember that cruddy wooden temporary theater? Remember how the Senate banned temporary theaters? Here is your first state-of-the-art permanent amphitheater that you are going to watch so many people murdered and it's going to just knock your socks off. That's right. I had a very crass joke that I'm going to keep to myself. Okay. Because this is a family show. But tell me later. I'll tell you later. All right. Uh, and he was so sort of uh, take this Nero that he built uh, the Colosseum on the site where that estate was, uh, where Nero lived, uh, Domus Aria. That's the golden house. That's right. That was the land on which the golden house sat. And the... Uh, lake that was built there. There was this artificial pond. So like, I'm going to fill that up even and really just sort of erase Nero's legacy as much as possible. Um, and can you tell him where the name Colosseum may have come from? Apparently there was like a hundred something foot tall nude statue of Nero. And rather than, um, it was bronze and rather than melt it down and reuse it, I, they put it up and they propped it up in front of the Colosseum. So that was the, the amphitheater that had the Colossus of Nero or the Colosseum. It's like museum, but with Coloss. Right. But they didn't pronounce it Colosseum. No, they called it like the amphitheater. Yeah, no one said Col Colosseum until later. No one's ever said Colosseum except for me. Yeah, you really threw me off before we started <laughs> recording. Uh, all right, I say we take a break. Okay. And then we come back and talk about the building itself. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. 
Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, we're back. Uh, We're talking Coliseum, big theater, stadium, outdoor arena, whatever you want to call it, amphitheater. In ancient Rome, uh, if you're talking about the building itself, it is 620 by 513 feet, uh, 157 feet tall, which is about 15 stories, obviously. Uh, we mentioned it was made of mostly concrete, but that's, you know, sort of the structure. Uh, there was also about three and a half million cubic feet of stuff like wood, of course, travertine, uh, marble, stone. Uh, and the reason why you mentioned the Colosseum is still largely standing through earthquakes and such 2,000 plus years later is because this thing was built on wetlands. So they had to go very, very deep uh, with this concrete, uh, with their foundation. And this that's what you get 2,000 years later. It's still going. Yeah, um, there's a historian of ancient Rome named Garrett Ryan. He's got a blog called Told in Stone. And he said that they built facing walls 10 feet thick on each side that Ooh. supported a ring of concrete foundation that they poured 100 feet wide and 40 feet deep. That's what the Colosseum is built on. I wonder what the ancient uh, recipe for concrete was. Uh, Funny enough, I kind of looked that up because Roman concrete is very famous because it's still standing and modern concrete can crumble in a matter of decades, right? So the Romans kind of had us beat. uh, And they figured out that it was because they mixed quicklime in at really high temperatures. And it Uh created this chemical reaction that was still kind of buzzing after the stuff was poured so that it would cure much more quickly and solidly. That's what they think it was. So just the heat. They heated up that quick creep. The heat. My God, the heat. (laughs) Uh, If you love columns, you would be delighted with the Colosseum because there's a lot of columns. And they go in order from um, lowly to, I guess, the most revered uh, as they start with the Doric style at the bottom. Move on up to the Ionic on the second level. And then finally, of course, you get to the uh, very fancy Corinthian columns on the top. Uh, And they even had a little, uh, not a little, a pretty sizable retractable awning that went all the way around it. And um, if you've ever been to the 
Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, uh, it sort of is like that mm-hmm. where there's a circle in the ceiling. Um, in Atlanta, of course, that opens and shuts like a, a camera shutter would, or I guess an old film camera shutter would. Sure. So in Atlanta, it has a circle around uh, above, like to where the field um, could possibly get rained on. Of course, they don't open it when it's going to rain. Sure. But uh, all the humans are covered. And that was the same deal as there was a circle in the center that always stayed open because, you know, they didn't have retractable roofs. Mm-hmm. But they did have a retractable partial awning to keep everyone else dry. Yeah. And then the, the so the building was huge. The actual, like, floor, the ground that the action took place on, the arena floor, it was an oval shape of 272 by 157 feet. The sandbox? Yeah, it was covered in sand because it would soak up like blood. Uh, and they needed it because a lot of blood was spilled there. And like I said, it took eight years to build. And apparently it was finally um, dedicated under Emperor Titus Vespasian's son uh, under his watch. And he was actually a pretty short-lived emperor, although much beloved. Um, and his little brother, Domitian, yeah, um, mm-hmm. when he became emperor, he excavated that that arena floor about 10, 20 feet down yeah. and built the hypogeum, which means basement or below ground. And it it was here where suddenly this thing became like this magical marvel of special yeah. effects and technical wizardry. Yeah, totally. This is where like you could really kick it up a notch when you could have 600 dudes uh, and a lot of, you know, most of these were slaves, obviously. Um, but they're down there all of a sudden with pulleys and ramps and trap doors and uh, and pulley operated elevators and you could do all kinds of crazy magical things down there it at the least you've got a holding area for animals and gladiators and people and you know it was sort of like you would think of any sort of backstage area of like a circus or something uh, except it was underground i think that they portrayed it in gladiator if i'm not mistaken but they they would have, like, there was a production company that built a replica of this for a PBS documentary a few years back and actually donated it to Italy so that it's on display in the Colosseum. But they showed how, like, you would put an animal in a cage, use some pulleys to bring it up, and as it was coming up toward the floor of the arena, a trap door would open, and then all of a sudden there's just a lion sitting there that yeah. wasn't there before. So, I mean, imagine watching, like, a, a man fight a lion to begin mm-hmm. with. Before it was like, here comes the lion walking in, here comes the man walking in, ho-hum. Now it's like a lion magically appears and starts fighting with the guy. This was like the the kind of stuff that they were throwing at the citizens of Rome at the time. And from what I can tell, almost all of the citizens of Rome were eating it up. There were some people who were like, this is an awful barbaric place at the time, but most citizens of Rome were super into it. Uh, you know, when I saw Bon Jovi in concert, <laughs> um, well, I saw them a couple of times, both by accident. Uh, they opened up for 38 Special when I was like in the eighth grade when did, they were a very you, small band. Did you wake up like <laughs> after having been drugged in like a Bon Jovi concert? No, the second time was my senior year in high school. Sort of a long story, uh, but there was somebody at our school that couldn't find anyone to go with them, so I went with them. Oh. Um, but Bon Jovi in that second one, you know, when they were the headliner, at the beginning of the show, there's like, you know, the band is kind of coming out and they start off the song. And I'm like, where's John? Where's John? And boom, smoke, uh, a smoke blast <laughs> happens on stage. And the smoke clears and Bon Jovi is just standing there. So bada boom, he, bada uh, bing, Bon Jovi. <laughs> exactly. He uh, he had a, a, a horizontal trap door that would, um, instead of falling through it, it would shoot him up. Neat. In an instant. And I was, uh, even though it's not like I was dying to go to that show, I was, I was pretty knocked out, I got to say. Yeah, for sure. Buddy, you better stand exactly where they tell you to stand on that kind of trapdoor platform. I would you know? think so. You don't want to get it, it went up with some, uh, I think I saw behind the scenes of it one time even. It, it went up with some speed. I'll bet that was fun. Yeah. So one of the things, uh, oh, we didn't mention that, that, like there were plenty of people who were in that ring, including animals that would have liked to have gotten out of that ring. So they prevented this by separating the seating area from the arena floor mm-hmm. by rather large um, stone barrier, 12-foot stone barrier, with a bronze fence on top of that. And then on top of that, they lined it with elephant tusks. So it was not easy to get over. 
But that seating area was a, a like a snapshot of social hierarchy in Rome because they had it very much divided up socially. Yeah. And this, like reading this, I was kind of like, it's sort of exactly how it is today. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got your very, um, very special people are sitting courtside. Yeah. Down there on the hardwood floor. Spike so they Lee. can yell at uh, Jimmy Butler or LeBron or whoever. Sure. Uh, senators, families, obviously, and their guests. Um, they could bring their own folding chairs, which is pretty special at the time, I think. Sure. Uh, but they also had their box seats, you know, a little higher up, what would we would call like a luxury box today. Uh, and this is where, you know, you usually see the emperor um, and emperor's guests, just, just like you would today. Any rich or famous person who has a luxury box and their hangers on. Right. Can't you imagine those senators to just like assert their individualism, like bedazzled some of their seats right. that they brought? <laughs> sure. So uh, after that, I had not heard of this group. Um, there, there was a, a, a social stratus, stratum yeah, in Rome called the Equestrians. Yeah. The Equestrian Order were people who had originally served in the cavalry uh, and then went on to become extraordinarily prosperous and wealthy business people. So they were yeah. merchants, tradesmen, bureaucrats, sometimes artisans. Um, and the reason that they were taking up the, the slack for the business world in Rome it's because the Senate was forbidden from engaging in business. So they didn't want the senators tainted. Um, so all of that fell to these equestrians who, who made up that, um, I guess, wealthy class, but not senators or the emperor. Yeah. So they're like in the what you would call the 100 level seats. Uh, you move up to the 200 level mm-hmm. uh, as far as modern arenas go. And then you've got your middle class. But within that middle class at the Colosseum, it was subdivided more than 300 times uh, for very specific areas for very specific social groups. Like, you know, ambassadors are in this section. If you're a soldier on leave, you're o- over here. If you were a member of some sort of guild and uh, middle class guild, then you're sitting over here. Um, and then, of course, you've got your 300 level nosebleeds. It, it's always been that way. It'll always be this way. Yeah. The cheap seats. Uh, and it's. I don't think it's confirmed, but uh, most of these were standing room only at the Coliseum. Right. Yeah, they, they're just basing that on the fact that they are so steep and the, the seat's so shallow. It's like yeah. this has to be standing room only. Yeah. Um, and there there were times where, especially during um, events that the emperor put on at the Coliseum, where you, you couldn't leave. So if you're uncomfortable, T.S., you had to stay there and watch because the emperor was putting this on for your benefit. Who did they ban entirely, though? I thought found this interesting. Yeah, they they, they banned gravediggers, actors, and former gladiators. And actors. I looked <laughs> high or low for you know what that what the reason was. And gravediggers is pretty obvious. It, you know, plenty of societies around the world in different times have looked upon gravediggers as basically untouchable, like societies yeah. unwanted but in, incredibly necessary. Right. Not the way you treat incredibly necessary people. Right. That's how gravediggers have been treated. Actors. I saw a stack exchange explanation that said that they were viewed as like lowly and untrustworthy and yeah. dangerous even maybe. And then former gladiators, I saw that they were worried that they might attack other people uh, out of revenge or something. But the person who gave that answer doubted it. Hmm. So take well, that for what thing, it's worth with a grain of salt. Yeah. The actressing tracks just because it's been well established that acting as a profession was not something that was looked kindly upon or to aspire to for most of its history. Right. But, but that they were, they were considered lowlier than slaves then because the slaves were allowed to go sit in the cheap seats. The actors couldn't even come in. Yeah. It's, it's strange. And I know that Rome had a much different view of their slaves than um, the West African slave trade that started by the Portuguese in the 15th, no, 17th century. Um, that was, I know it's still a lot different, but that's still pretty surprising. Right, of course. I'm with you. So, Chuck, I mentioned that you didn't have enough money to get a pottery shard. That wasn't some uh-huh. random weird thing I was <laughs> saying earlier. That's actually what the tickets were. They they had the, a gate, a section, and a seat number inscribed on a little shard of pottery. Can you believe that? They're they're. I mean, surely you turn these things back in, right? I, I guess, but I didn't see any any examples of any that had survived. But surely there must be a couple left, as many events as were held there i can't imagine they carved 
you know, 50 plus uh-huh. thousand of these for every single event that they sure. had. No. Uh, but, you know, maybe so. Who knows? Uh, it was free to get in. That's kind of cool. Uh, you didn't have to pay any money, but they were um, not just anyone could get the tickets. They were very much distributed in this sort of the same way the seating was very structured in a higher hierarchical way. Um, the tickets were distributed thusly as well. Right. Um, and, you know. That's how you got in. You got in with your little ticket. Your little ticket said what gate to go in, just yeah. like today, to get you in as quickly as possible. Um, and like you said, they got people out of there, it seems like, pretty quickly. The, the only reason I said it was dubious, because anytime they say something like very specific, like 15 minutes, right? and it was 2,000 years ago, I'm always like, who who was timing this back then? Right. That's why I was going up to 18 minutes. Yeah. I, was, just, you know. I bet it was super speedy, though. So um, one of the other things about it that comes into, into play later it was equipped with water fountains and flushing toilets. So there was running water that could reach the um, the Coliseum. Just yeah. put that in your hat for later, okay? Yeah, and that also means that during the games, there were drunk dudes at uh, urinals barking out their sports opinions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Essentially. Some things never change. Some things never change. So um, I guess it's finally time we talk about what exactly went on there, right? Yeah, I mean, when it first opened, uh, Titus, do you know if, if Dad was still around to see it open at least, or was he I, dead, I, or was he just out of power? I don't know. I don't think they really like stepped out of power much before they died, those guys, the emperors. Okay. Um, but uh, they said, all right, big grand opening. Let's get 100 straight days of action going every single day for 100 days. We're going to have a big show. And a show at the Coliseum was kind of an all-day thing. Um, you know, after that first hundred days, it looks like they basically had stuff during the winter, um, and then like special events, like to celebrate the emperor or for big, uh, you know, the the birthdays and not you know just anyone's birthday, but you <laughs> can rent it out at like the a Chuck McDonald's E. Cheese <laughs> or at the Coliseum. Oh, that's funny. Um, but the very first thing that would happen. Um, was a, a procession. It was known as a solemn procession. Had music, sort of religious themes. And then they started killing animals. Yeah, I saw that they kind of, they they kind of, I guess, justified or, you know, put some sort of veneer of sanctity on this by, by this whole thing basically having religious themes throughout. Good for them. So, yes, you're going to make me talk about the animals, huh? Well, I mean... I said they killed animals. Okay. <laughs> I'll go into somewhat greater detail. So what they would do is um, they would go procure animals from all corners of the Roman Empire, sub-Saharan Africa, Asia. Um, they would bring in tigers, um, lions, bears. Seriously. Um, if, uh, they would bring in um, elephants. They brought in uh alligators, rhinoceri, just anything you can think of, any ma- massive exotic animal that's deadly. They went and gr- got a bunch of them and brought them back for these events, which we should say took months of planning and a lot of people working on every single one. They weren't like, you know, half-assed, one-off, you know, like a band in the park kind of thing. Like this is a, <laughs> this is like a really huge event, right? Oh, yeah. So um, I'm really That's why just that 100 to, days is just like crazy impressive. Yes, it really is. So um, they would take these animals and then they would, they would convert the arena floor into something like a jungle with potted plants or shrubs or something like that. And then they would bring in either animal handlers or hunters, venatores or bestiari, who would hunt the animals in front of everybody. And yeah. it wasn't like any kind of equal stuff. But the animals did sometimes kill some of the humans, and apparently the the uh, spectators just love that kind of thing. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they brought them in from all over the world as sort of like a, a big show of, hey, look at where we've been. Look yeah. at how vast we are. Yeah. Uh, we're not just bringing in local, uh, the, the cats of Rome. Um, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> that would be all kinds of feral cats in Rome. Really unsatisfying. Could you imagine someone getting killed by a hundred feral cats attacking them, though? Oh, that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I can. I can see <laughs> it now. Um, and then sometimes they would have the animals fight one another. They would match up, you know, a, a, a cheetah versus a tiger or something like that. Sure. Or an elephant versus a rhinoceros. Um, I saw a some, bear versus python. 
Really? Yeah, dude, they got really weird and disgusting. I wouldn't think that would even work. You can't I, go I to Python it, into fighting, can you? I saw it written down on the internet, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember where I saw it, but I think it was a legit source. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but did you see the Yelp review of the performance? <laughs> <laughs> no. Python didn't do much. Bear was disinterested. One yeah. star. Yeah, I wonder, like, how many of these animals just didn't fight each other. You know? Well, and I'm sure they forced them to do whatever, you know. I'm sure they prodded and goaded them and, you know, injured them and did whatever they had to do. Yeah. Um, but uh, they would also just have animal tricks and stuff like that. A little more circus-like atmosphere at times uh, when they weren't killing them or making them kill each other. Uh-huh. Uh, so after this is done, um, enslaved people come out and they clean up hundreds and hundreds of dead animals and uh, I guess rake the sand around to, to mix the blood in and sure. the guts and make sure everything was nice and tidy. Uh, sometimes they would um, butcher the animals and give out the meat right there. So you could be out there for a show in the early afternoon and get a, a, a lion's thigh to keep there in the arena for the rest of the day until you can take it home and die of food poisoning. Right. I thought about that, too. That is not a great plan. Uh, but they sometimes they would feed them real lunch. Um, they did have vending um, places like, uh, what do you call them, concession stands? Yeah. Where, where you could buy stuff. And it was it was like a modern stadium in a lot of ways, again. Yeah. For, I mean, exa- like it's, it's so much so that I was like, oh, okay, is football and all like professional sports just all descended from the Coliseum? And- right. How did you sneak in your weed? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they had to sneak it in back then. Yeah, probably so. So um, after that, after they got all the animals cleaned up and the sand raked and all that stuff, it was about noon. And noon was the time for public executions because Hooray! they would, um, most people think that gladiator battles were to the death. That was actually infrequent as far as gladiator battles, went, as we'll see. But they gave them plenty of, of death of humans with these public executions and they would really go to town creating these elaborate deaths like this is a person's death but they would dress them up like icarus and pretend they were flying close to the sun and set them on fire like that kind of stuff yeah um crucifixions uh hack you to death with a sword these reenact reenactments are just like i had never heard of that before in my life i mean it's bad enough to have a public execution but yeah than to make someone reenact some big famous like story from history where the where the hero dies yep. or whatever. It's just like, uh, it's pretty unbelievable. Um, th- as far as Christians being fed to the lions go, that's something that you've heard over and over throughout history. Um, that uh, surely happened, but it wasn't like every single time the Coliseum had a show, they would just throw, you know, 15 Christians out in the middle of a bunch of lions. Um, persecution of Christians in uh, Rome was happened over the course of a long time in a lot of places here and there, but it wasn't like that was what was always happening at the Colosseum. Right. Um, but yes, they they were they were persecuted and executed for their for their beliefs. Like it did happen. Sure. One that was documented was Saint Ignatius of Antioch, um, and he uh, was martyred in uh, one ten. And he was mauled by animals. Like he was torn to pieces by half-starved wild animals that were mm-hmm. released on him. And he apparently had asked friends in high places not to intercede on his behalf. And he didn't fight back by all accounts. He just stood there and took it and um, died. Um, and that happened a lot. Like there was a, a, there was a lot of Christian and Jewish persecution in Rome because they didn't conform to the Roman myth- mythological beliefs, right? Right their pantheon of gods. Um, and so they, and they were also in the minority and people on the margins have always been persecuted, maybe not fed to the lions, but um, persecuted at least in, in Rome was no different. Yeah. Uh, when I worked in New Jersey at the restaurant many years ago that I worked at, there was a bartender named Pete. And uh, if a football game was on in the bar and you walk by and we're like, hey, what's up with the game? He would say, lions 10, Christians nothing. <laughs> That was like his go-to line for anybody that asked the score. Oh, wow. I and, guess uh, 2,000 years later, it's not too <laughs> soon, right? Probably not. He always got a chuckle out of most people. Yeah. But probably offended some people. Sure. Looking back, I thought Pete was so old. It's funny. I was 25. I bet Pete was 32. 30. 
It is, though. It's so old. When you're in your 20s, everybody's still old. Everybody's know? so old. Oh, have you seen that um, that new Nate Bargatze special? Uh, yeah. He's talking about being like 42 and he thinks he's still young hanging out with the 20-something. Oh, yeah. Some 45-year-old comes over. He's like, beat it, old man. There's yeah. a couple of young guys hanging out over here. <laughs> That's is good. Very good. He's, he's but then the punchline of that. You're not going to do the punchline? I don't remember the punchline. <laughs> I think I was laughing too hard. I must not have heard it. Oh, uh, the punchline is he's like, yeah, you and the young guys just hanging out. And, he's, and then he goes something like, uh, and yeah. also maybe let's sit down. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, that was a good punchline. He's good. If you're an Nate Bargatze fan, uh, he was on an episode of Movie Crush. We talked about the movie Scream. Oh, that's a good good pick. So go check it out. He Even was, if you're uh, not a Nate Bargatze fan, go listen to that and go watch his specials. Yeah, he has blowed up since that Movie Crush uh, appearance. That's awesome. He's doing arenas now. What? It's a, yes, dude. He's doing Phillips Arena or State Farm Arena. Wow. On his next show. It's crazy. And it's it, great. Yeah. It, it, it's awesome. It couldn't happen to a better guy. Agreed. Uh, speaking of better guys, maybe we should take a break. Okay. W- work on ourselves a little bit. Work on our segues. <laughs> and then uh, come back better guys. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, Chuck, it's time to talk about gladiators, gladiators, gladiators. Let's do it. There's a lot of misconceptions. And we talked about this in the Spartacus episode. We talked mm-hmm. about chariot racing and gladiator, gladiators and stuff like that. Um, but And that's, that's definitely worth going to listen to if this is, if you're like, wow, ancient Rome is fascinating. I want to learn more about it. Go listen to our Spartacus episode. But um, there's a lot of misconceptions still, one of which, like I mentioned, is that most gladiator battles were fight fights to the death. Yeah. And that's just not how it was, in part because of how gladiators were um, brought into existence. They were usually criminals, prisoners of war, not looked not not um, looked highly upon 
that's another big misconception too, that they were like today's modern MMA fighters with all these fans that are like crazy for them. Not really accurate, but that's not to say that some of them didn't make like household names of themselves and probably did have some fans, but it's just not a really apt analogy. But as I was saying, the, um, the reason why you didn't want to fight to the death is because it took a lot of time and effort and investment to train a prisoner yeah. of war or a criminal who had been condemned to fight like well and be a gladiator that's successful. So those gladiator schools were like, we're going to rent you our gladiators. Do not let them fight to the death. Do not, yeah. We want them back. Rewind first, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, they, they're they trying to put a good product out there because they're charging. Well, they weren't charging money, I guess, but it was entertainment. Um, and th- when they're all dying, then you're just, you know, what's going to happen is all of a sudden it's, you know, the B team, then the C team is out there. Right. And so, yeah, they had a lot of time invested in these guys. Uh, and I say guys because it was um, 100% men except for when they occasionally had like, uh, hey, let's bring some women out here to fight is sort of a novelty act kind of thing. But the uh, Coliseum opened in 80 AD, and they organized this, um, like everything else was organized to the T, you know, Coliseum-wise. These these gladiator battles were organized because they also didn't want to throw in, you know, uh, Russell Crowe with, uh, you know, with me because I would get pummeled and die so quickly it yeah. wouldn't be any fun for anybody. So yeah. they organized them by experience level, by their skill, maybe by how they fought. Like you don't want a, a grappler in there with a swordsman, um, although that could be interesting. Who knows? Sure. Uh, but they wanted a swordsman against a swordsman. Uh, and then they had they had four different groups, right? Yeah, they had, um, well, five. They had mermillos, which were heavily armored. They had a um, full helmet. They had a big old shield. They had the gladiator sword that you think of. And then kind of like Mermillo 2.0 were Thraxes, Mm -hmm. where they had a smaller shield and a Thracian sword, the curved sword, but were very similar to Mermillo's. That's right. Uh, Then you had the, uh, I knew you were going to leave this to me, Uh, Rediarius. Nice. I guess. Um, They had lighter armor. Um, These guys had a net and a trident, so there was some sort of a nautical theme going on. Right. Um, so they could, like, throw a net over someone and trident them in the chest. Uh, then you had the chariot um, battlers, the chariot fighters. They were the uh, Esidarius. And then finally, what do we have? The Hopalomachus. Nice job. I think these are the ones that you think of when you, when you think of a gladiator. They had a helmet that had a plume on it. They had a spear, they had a short sword, they had a small round shield. I think they had like the shoulder armor. Okay. Pretty sure that's what Russell Crowe would have been in Gladiator. I haven't seen, I saw that once back then. I haven't seen it since then. I think I've seen it twice, but it's been a while for sure. Yeah, I think it was on TNT once when I was watching TNT. I think I thought it was pretty good back then. But they would, so like you said, they would, they, sometimes they would, they'd put a Hoplomachus against a um, Rediarius or something like that, just to mm-hmm. see what happened with one guy with a net and another guy with a spear, you know? Right, sure. Um, so they would have them fight like that. But like you were saying, they, they did um, line them up according to skill level. And one thing that, that um, is, bears mentioning, so the, the events of the Coliseum were free. But the gladiator school still charged whoever was putting on the event or sponsoring the event for renting the gladiators. Yeah. How did the money work? If they weren't making any money, did the state just fund it all? Yes. Either. So so holding an event at the Coliseum free to everybody who could get a ticket, 50,000 people, um, was a really good way of showing everybody how incredibly wealthy you were. Right. Or if you were because you collected so many taxes, pretty much. Or if you were the emperor himself, it was a way of of it was like a gift to the citizenry. It was a way to keep them like kind of sedated in line, like TV today. It's the it's the exact same premise as if from the emperor's perspective. But it was also a way to like generate belovedness and adoration from the populace um, by putting on a really good event at the Colosseum. Yeah, I'd be curious about and. We probably will never know these specifics, but coming from a world of like TV and film production, I, I would love to know how it literally worked as a production, like a big production like this with budgets and, and production managers, essentially mm-hmm. whatever they called them. Yeah. 
uh, I mean, they had to have people doing all that. And I'm sure there were fights over, you know, what they could afford and what they couldn't. Yeah. Like how much money did that guy have? have that elephant. Exactly. So we've trotted out alligators three days in a row. I can't get a, another alligator in there. We have 97 more days to go. Wow. Amazing. So um, the, the, I, I said that the gladiator battles have been around for a while by the time the Colosseum was built. Been around for at least 300 years. They started out as part of funeral games and everybody was like, well, we like this. So it kind of became like a, a thing that wasn't just part of funerals, right? Yeah. Um, and some, I said some gladiators were like well-known and there was one who might have been the most well-known of all time his name was flama the flame and apparently he was a captured syrian soldier did they um, call him flama jamma i i don't know Sur- surely somebody did okay we are from now on yeah so um he turned down his freedom three different times they would offer you your freedom by giving you a rudis a wooden sword that was symbolic of your transition back into normal society three times he turned it down um and finally died in a battle at age 35 and um it's long been considered that he was you know just in it for the money or the glory or the fame but somebody um i read suggested that he was doing it because he was trying to um, stand for his his um, culture because the Romans viewed Syrians very lowly, very oh, cowardly. And Flama, the Syrian soldier, is like the greatest gladiator in all of Rome. Um, so they suggested that that might be why he kept fighting. So Flama Jamma was like, I'm not taking that wooden sword. Exactly. You Flamma can take Jamma that wooden do sword. Wood. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, there was also an emperor who got involved uh, gladiator style. Um, Commodus, who was a real piece of doo-doo, um, he reigned from 180 to 192, and, you know, it was, uh, he, he didn't really fight people. He would go out there, you know, to boost his own ego, uh, apparently hundreds and hundreds of times as a quote-unquote gladiator, but, you know, they would um, submit to him immediately, or he, they would submit to him, and he would just murder them. Yeah. Um, he had... Uh, like people with disabilities out there dressed up as monsters with sponges painted like rocks, you know, that supposedly throwing at him uh, and he would hunt them with arrows. Uh, He would come out in public with their blood smeared on him. Uh, He would kill animals. Um, He he was just a real awful human being. Uh, There's one story where he supposedly shot 100 bears in a, in one morning. Yeah. And uh, he was terrible. He, yeah, to make it even worse, he would charge the Roman treasury 25,000 pieces of silver per appearance. That he, he said, I'm going to appear. And so give me 25,000 pieces of silver. And then right. there's one other thing that um, I want to mention because the Colosseum eventually started to crumble, as we'll talk about in a second. But during its heyday and possibly toward the beginning of it, they, uh, there are contemporary accounts of filling the the Colosseum with water five or six feet deep, putting ships in there and staging mock naval battles. I'm pretty sure we talked about that in the Spartacus episode or some other episode because it's really familiar. Um, Yeah. It may have happened. It definitely happened in an artificial lake made outside of the Colosseum. But some of these contemporary accounts are like, no, no, we're talking about the Colosseum itself. Yeah. You know what my bet is, is that they did it at least once in the Colosseum. And we're like, this is what? What do they call them? Uh, Namachias, Namachias. Yeah. Um, that they would. Uh, that they were like, we should build our own um, place to do this, and they built one near the Tiber River. Yeah. That was exclusively for these mock naval battles because I think the Colosseum was probably problematic. That would be my guess. I think you're a historian now, <laughs> but you can stop holding on to that fact that the there was running water that could make it to the Colosseum. Everybody. That's right. So I said the Colosseum started to crumble, right? Yeah, I mean, quite literally uh, and metaphorically. Um, you know, when the the rise of the Christian Church in Rome, obviously they would come along and say this kind of brutality can't stand uh, the decline of the Roman Empire. Period. Um, and you know, people weren't as into this stuff. It was it was a moment in time that it was super popular and like a anything like that. Four hundred year moment in time. <laughs> yeah, four hundred year moment in time. Uh, but that would wane, and. Um, the first earthquake hit in 443, which damaged it, uh, but it was still being used like as an amphitheater 
uh, I think, you know, into the 6th century. Right. Um, and then the medieval period comes along, and for about 500 years, they made it into sort of like a like a live-work-play space. <laughs> yeah, exactly, with shops, uh, warehouses, the common area, the arena floor became a common area. And yeah. then it got hit by an earthquake again in 1349, and um, the the structure collapsed partially. And it ended up becoming like a strip for parts. A lot of people scavenged stone from it and other kind of works, including our works. But also they used it for like building materials too. Yeah. And um, they used some of this at the direction of the various popes over the years because they would take it and build Christian churches and cathedrals with this. So because so much of the Colosseum had been used to build churches and because so many Christians had been um, killed there, the Colosseum itself became um, kind of a Catholic holy place uh, and became an official holy place in 1749 when Pope Benedict XIV um, blessed it. He said, this is now a Christian holy site. Um, and that protected it from any more pillaging or destruction and actually led to some early restoration projects. Yeah, so they, they started to get to work on it to protect it a little more. Um, after the unification of Italy in 1870, uh, it became, you know, a legit national monument. Uh, they, you know, uh, of course, Mussolini comes along and um, fully uncovers the, uh, how did you pronounce that? Hypogeum? That's where I'm going with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, further rebuilt it, further stabilized it, uh, brought out some of the, you know, restored some of the history for sure. And then, you know, I think it wasn't until like the late 20th century that it, you know, modern restoration, like really nice techniques came along uh, to make sure that it was not only safe for tourists, but like a robust place to, you know, keep making money off of or not keep. But I guess, you know, for some of the first times making money off. Of. Yes. Yeah, some people consider it the greatest tourist attraction of Rome. Apparently it brings in 6 million visitors a year. And I think there were 6 million people there when Yumi and I went. That's a lot of people. It is a lot. Yeah, um, maybe that's why I didn't go in. It's uh, it's very neat, though. Uh, we didn't make it down to the Hypogeum. I don't know if it was open yet for visitors. Yeah, no, 2021, no. We definitely weren't able to. I would like to go back and go down there. Yeah, I, I got to pay to go in this time. Okay, I'll cover your admission. How about that? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, since Chuck thanked me, everybody, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, this is about skydiving. Uh, it's like, hey, guys, got a good story. Uh, I took my boyfriend, now husband, uh, and his sister skydiving for his 32nd birthday about 10 years ago in New England. And had gone once before, so the nerves were gone, but I was just full of pure excitement and adrenaline. Uh, I was in the middle of having my front tooth replaced. Do you see where this is going yet? No, not yet. And I had a flipper retainer. Do you see where this is going yet? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. Uh, Chuck, I think you went through this experience. Of course. I remember the flipper retainer. Uh, I asked the staff if I should remove it, but they said, no, it's pretty snug in there. You'll be fine. Uh, I was feeling vain and didn't want my uh, toothless face in the video. Uh, and guess what happened? During the free fall, I was a little frustrated by needing to interact and entertain to the camera. And I really wanted to just enjoy the moment. So half-jokingly, I blew a kiss, then flipped a bird at the cameraman. Uh, as instant karma would have it, my fake tooth flew out. I panicked and motioned to the gap in my mouth to the cameraman, and he just gave the thumbs up, all good. And I remember thinking, no, not all good. Uh, this just got so much more expensive, and I have no tooth. And you can even see me sort of looking around for it in mid-fall, which is I did not funny. see that coming. Um, I hope that it would be magically floating next to me as I plumbled to the earth. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Uh, I just say plumbled. I think that's pummeled and plummeted at the same time. I think that's a great new word you just made. Uh, not my smartest moment, but desperation took over. And uh, this is from Aaron Bogan, and Aaron sent the video, which is on YouTube, and it's very funny to watch Aaron's. You can't see the tooth fly out, but you see immediately Aaron grab her mouth and uh, motion around and uh, sort of look around and it's just very funny so uh, let me see if I can even find how you would uh, skydive New England presents colon Aaron's skydive from uh, nine years ago and it's got 573 views two of which were mine so uh, <laughs> maybe we can make Aaron a little more famous there you go 
Thanks a lot, Aaron. That was a indeed Chuck, like Chuck said, a good email. Thank you for that. Sorry that happened, but at least you got a great story out of it. And if you want to be like Aaron and tell us one of your great stories, we want to hear it. You can send it to us via email at stuffpodcast.iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. 